Welcome to episode number 33 of Talking Mopars and the last episode for Listener Appreciation Week. I hope you guys have had as much fun as I have. Next week, everything's going back to normal. But for today, we've got Project Car of the Day, High Performance Parts Listener Stories, and we're taking one last trip to Scat City. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Welcome back, Mopar enthusiasts. Welcome back, friends. This is the last episode for Listener Appreciation Week. Next week, everything's going back to normal. I hope you guys have had a blast this past week because I've had a good time. I've got to be honest, though, I am beat. I am tired, and I'm glad this is the last one because I want nothing more than to go to bed right now. But we're going to push through. That's what we do here on Talking Mopars. We talk Mopars. We have a good time every time, okay? I do want to mention one thing before we get into the show. I'm happy to announce and humbled to announce that Talking Mopars made Podcast Magazine's Hot 50 list once again, this time ranking above Joe Rogan, but ranking lower in the ranks. That's okay. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to all you guys listening. Thank you so much for joining me every week and being loyal listeners. And that list, you only get on that list if people vote for you. So those of you out there that have voted for Talking Mopars on that list, Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you guys and gals listening right now. Thank you once again. And hey, you know what we need to do? We need to get this show on the road. All right, folks, we did something a little bit different today. Instead of going to Craigslist like I usually do, I actually picked a car from the Mopar Hunter Buy Sell Trade Group on Facebook. Now, in case you didn't know, the Mopar Hunter has a group page. So you can go there and post your parts and cars and ask questions and things like that. Good place for discussion, so go check it out. But I actually picked a car from Wednesday night around 10 o'clock that I thought was really cool. And here's the ad. Hemikuda Tribute, $69,500 in Marietta, Georgia. For sale, 70 Hemi Cuda Shaker Hood Tribute, $69,500, an older restoration Hemi 4-speed pistol grip Dana rear end, TTI headers with 3-inch ceramic coated exhaust all the way through to the stainless steel exhaust tips, bucket seats all new everything, undercarriage looks just as nice as the rest. Too much to list. See video below in comments, possible trade for 68 Charger RT or equal value. Folks, we are so technologically advanced here on Talking Mopars that I'm actually going to play you the car so you can actually hear this car you can hear this hemi rumble so here we go enjoy the easy listening sounds of a 426 hemi there you have it folks nothing like a little ear pleasure for you so this car is beautiful. Let me just say that first and foremost. It's a red Cuda with a hockey stripe and a black vinyl top. Shaker hood car. Beautiful. It's got the pistol grip. This thing is immaculate. Of course, I'm basing my opinion on pictures that I'm seeing on the internet. But from what I can tell, this guy has a lot of money into this car. And it was done really well. 
So this is one of those cars where it's like, okay, do you go find, you know, what I like, and that's a ratty Mopar that isn't really anything special, and, you know, spend 10 to 15 grand on something that runs and drives, or maybe a Moonlight is a pizza delivery guy, or Moonlight is an Uber driver or something, and make some extra cash, and get yourself a 70 Hemi Cuda Shaker Hood tribute car. I mean, this car is knocking on the door of $70,000, but you're also looking at a Hemi Cuda. Is it an original Hemi Cuda? No. Is it a Hemi Cuda? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one of those cars where if you have the means to get this car, you can save yourself a lot of headaches. The guy wasn't lying. The undercarriage is absolutely clean, and the car is just, it's beautiful. I mean, there's no other way to say it. You know, it's got the rim blow steering wheel. It's just a, a really well done car. And, you know, at 70 grand, you can get a newer Hellcat Red Eye right in that ballpark. Or you can go get a 70 Hemi Cuda Shaker tribute car. I would go for the tribute car just because, uh, you know, if you pull up to a stoplight and there's a Hellcat Red Eye next to you and you're in this thing, <laughs> most of the people are going to be looking at that Hemi Cuda. But, very cool car. I, you know, when it comes to new Mopars and old Mopars, you cannot beat the feelings that you get when you see a vintage Mopar, especially one in this kind of condition, out in the wild. You know what I mean? You see new Challengers and new Chargers every day. At least I do. You know, I see Trackhawks. I see a handful of Trackhawks every day. I didn't think they made that many. <laughs> but, I mean, the modern Mopars are awesome. But they're all over the place. How often are you going to pull up to a stoplight and see a 70 Hemi Cuda Shaker car? You know, a real one? Probably not very often. You know, even a tribute car would be hard to see in the wild. If you have 70 grand, this may be the car for you. I know this is project car of the day. This is not a project car. This thing is finished. So this should be finished project car of the day. But, you know, you could go find a $20,000 Cuda, you know, shell that's completely rotted and spend ten grand on it or more. I've seen them go for as high as $20,000. North of $20,000, I've seen them go for $25,000 for rot boxes. Now, at that point, you're probably buying, let's be honest, you're probably buying a fender tag and a VIN number at that kind of a price. You're getting a Cuda, something really cool. Maybe it was an old V-code car something like that, that's when you start getting into the higher priced projects. But, you know, you're probably going to invest about 70 grand into that car to make it as perfect as this thing. Actually, you're probably going to invest more unless you do a majority of the work yourself, which a lot of people do, and I get that. But there's also the time factor involved. But if you have the means, if you have 70 grand just laying around, I know I don't, let me just clarify that. But if you got that kind of money laying around, Go get yourself this car or a car like it. You know, I see all sorts of cool Mopars for around 60 or 70 grand that are pretty much done. They're pretty much hand over the money, take the keys, go for drives. It's a tribute, but who cares? Who cares if it's a tribute car? I know I wouldn't. I drive the heck out of this thing. Now, if somebody asked me, is that a real Cuda? I'd be like, uh, what does it say? And if they say, oh, Cuda. I'd be like, all right, so clearly you know nothing about Mopars, because I'd be like, I'd go right over to the VIN number and go, oh, yeah, but I'm not one of those guys who, you know those guys at car shows that walk around, and maybe you're this guy, okay? Maybe you're this guy 
I got to be honest, you annoy me. <laughs> I, uh, I love it when a guy's walking around and he's just, he doesn't even enjoy the cars. He's just going straight for the fender tag or straight for the VIN number. And he's going, oh, pff, it ain't real. It's a 318 car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I look at that stuff, but then I look at the car and I see the artistry in the restoration or how cool it is just generally. And I don't judge. Not like that anyway. I'm not a jerk like that. It's kind of a jerk move to be like, oh, it was a 318 car, huh? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, dude. Oh, you can read a VIN number. Cool. <laughs> I don't know. I There's a, kind of a cockiness to it when I hear certain people do that kind of thing. And maybe you're not that type of guy. And maybe you're just the type to want to know the truth. I'm that way as well. So I'm not hating on you. You do you. I got to be honest, I would not be ashamed of driving this Cuda, even if I spent 70 grand on it. <laughs> this car is awesome. And I know that there's probably a couple guys out there right now listening to this show that are sitting there saying 70,000 for a Cuda tribute car. That's insane. The guy's out of his mind. But you guys know who I'm talking about. The type of guy who thinks he knows what everything's worth. You know, the guy who's judging everybody's pricing and all that stuff. Those jokers, you know, those clowns. Um, they're probably going, 70 grand, it's not even a real Hemi Cuda. <laughs> Here's what I have to say to you. Do you know how much a real Hemi Cuda costs? Do you have any idea? Because if you did, you'd probably look at this $70,000 Hemi Cuda, quote unquote, and go, okay, maybe I'll just take the... Maybe I'll just take the tribute car. <laughs> you know, I was looking at a couple of Hemi Cudas. Some of them are, I mean, all of them are in six-figure category. And one of them was close to, uh, I think it was half a million, something like that. And don't even talk about a 71 convertible. Do you know how much those things are caught? I, I stumbled over my words right there just thinking about the price. <laughs> They're million-dollar cars, okay? Some even more than a million dollars. So... When you talk about Hemi anything, a tribute car for a decent price that's already done, you know, and decent, of course, is subjective. There's people, I'm one of them, who probably will never have $70,000 to throw at a car. <laughs> you know, just willy-nilly, nonchalant. Oh, yeah, 70 grand? Yeah, I got that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, if you are one of those guys, more power to you. I respect you and I envy your ability to have whatever you want. Unfortunately, I'm not that guy. But I'm just the one here to say that if you do have $70,000 laying around, you know, unmarked bills or something crazy like that, maybe you're some criminal <laughs> with just 70 grand laying around, then go get this car. It'd be a great getaway car. You know, if you're a bank robber or something, it'd be a great getaway car. It's got a Hemi in it. <laughs> you're good to go. Um, but in all seriousness, this car... I think it's it's worth the 70 grand. That's my opinion. I'm sticking to it, all right? That was Project Car of the Day. No Mopar left behind. All right, folks. This is going to be a really quick high-performance part, but we all know that Al Bundy from Married with Children did not drive a Dodge. He had a Plymouth Duster, okay? There, end of controversy. <laughs> I... I used to watch Married with Children all the time, and it always bothered me when he talked about his Dodge. It's just, not a Dodge, but, you know, who's counting? 
<laughs> Clearly not Al Bundy, but that's the high performance part today. The Dusters, Dusters, the Plymouths, <laughs> in Married with Children, owned by Mr. Al Bundy. That was high performance parts, possibly even the shortest high performance parts ever. And why why did you do one so short, Chris? Why don't you talk a little bit more about Al Bundy's Plymouth Duster? I'll tell you why. Because I am running on fumes. <laughs> Can you hear my voice? I feel like my voice is just gone. But that's okay. You know why? The show must go on. I promised you guys a week full of shows, and you're getting a week full of shows. Even if it kills me. Okay? <laughs> Let's get serious again. Next time you're watching Married with Children, see if it's an episode that shows Al's Duster. And I believe it even changes colors on some episodes, and it even changes years. But who knows? Crazy continuity. I know a lot of people are sticklers about that continuity when they're watching a movie or something, but definitely don't watch this show if that's what you're looking for, because this duster changes quite a bit. But anyways, that's the high performance part. The numerous Plymouth dusters that are called Dodges on Married with Children. That was high performance parts. The Mopar story for this episode was shared by a gentleman named Cody Good. Here is Cody's story. Hey, Mr. Mopar Hunter, I've reached out a few times via Instagram at CMG underscore speed and would like to share my Mopar story if that's cool. I guess I would have to start where my dad's Mopar story starts because even though I wasn't even a thought at the time, it was definitely what started my love of Mopar. My dad grew up pretty broke and had worked since he was seven. Literally, it wasn't an uphill both ways story, he was just poor. Well, at one of his jobs he had washing dishes at a restaurant, a young waitress had a car, and that car was a 1970 RTSE Challenger. 383 HP, four barrel with a slapstick 727 that didn't need a brake to put two black lines in the road. One of my dad's favorite lines telling me and my brother about it when we were younger. Well, the young waitress was getting married and needed money, so my dad offered to buy her car. When she actually agreed for $2,500, he had to figure out a way to pay for it. He gave her every dime of his pay for the next six months. He said he almost stopped paying a few times if it wasn't for her driving it every day to work while he paid for it. Well, eventually it was his, and after some time, he moved up to Oregon for a girl. Car started having trouble, and he sold it to a local dirt track racer who actually told him that's what he was going to use it for. And what did he get for that amazing machine? $500. He says he doesn't regret selling it because at the time, they weren't even thought of like they are now. They were just old used cars that got horrible mileage, and at the time, being cool in a rad car didn't put food in either of their mouths, but man, did he have some stories. And that, sir, is what made me almost sell my soul for one. Listening to my dad talk about his all those years is what made me need a 70 Challenger, and not any Challenger, but a SERT. Growing up, these cars were expensive, but they weren't insane. As the years passed and I got closer and closer to being able to buy one, and legally drive one, the prices started getting unrealistic for me. So like most, I stopped even looking. More years passed and I kept up with the market, got into other muscle cars and just fast cars in general, but could just never afford the Mopar of my dreams. One day Craigslist shopping, I spotted one of the most beat up 70 Challengers I've ever seen. You probably saw it since it was everywhere listed as a Vanishing Point stunt car clone. It was a base model Slant 6 and was rough, but the price was reasonable and after speaking with my wife, I contacted the guy. After speaking, it just didn't seem like the right move for this car, but my passion had been sparked again. I was everywhere on the web looking in every crack and crevice and almost gave up until I found the one. On Pinterest of all places, I searched up 1970 Challenger Project and there it was. A 1970 SERT red striped elite black interior car. The vinyl was gone, the floors were gone, but it was a 383 SE car, exactly what I've been looking for. 
and the price, 11000 Too good to be true. It has to be. So I contacted the seller. The car was still available. After a month of emails and three very high-interest personal loans, seriously, ouch. My wife and I borrowed a car trailer and drove all the way from Galt, California to Denver, Colorado. I had three days because my wife was in the middle of a master's program and I had to be at work Monday morning. We just drove straight there, had about two minutes to look at the car, and we were back on the road. Slept on the salt at the infamous Bonneville Salt Flats and made it home in time to get a good night's rest before returning to work. That was two years ago and yesterday was the first time my car fired up. It's definitely a big project and I am stoked to say I will be on the road within a month. Sorry if that was long, I actually left out a bunch. Love the show and appreciate what you do for my ears on my commute back and forth to work. Cody. Hey Cody, thanks for sending in your story. It's always good to hear that you got the car of your dreams. You know, it may take you a little while to get it on the road, but I promise you it will all pay off. And clearly it already has because you just fired it up. That's awesome. And that should definitely get you motivated to get that thing finished. Really cool that you stayed at Bonneville. That's really neat. It's always cool to hear stories from way back in the day when you could get these cars for ridiculously cheap and when they were still plentiful. I always think that's entertaining, but keep me posted on your challenger, buddy, and I'd love to see it when it's done. Thanks for sending in your story. That was Listener Stories. It's time for our final tour of Scat City and our tour guide is Bobby Isaacs, and he's taken us around in a 1970 Charger Daytona. Here's the thing. There was no 1970 Charger Daytona. This brochure was created before they decided to drop the Charger Daytona for the 70 model year. So it's in the brochure. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But here's what Bobby Isaacs has to say about the Charger Daytona. Well, there's one obvious thing about a Charger Daytona. Nobody, but nobody, walks by without breaking his neck to take a second look. This is the slightly civilized version of the shark nose built specifically for the long NASCAR ovals. Old Slippery has a snout that strikes out a country mile in front and an adjustable spoiler that looks two stories tall in the rear. Standard mill is the 440 Magnum, but the one I tested packed the optional street version of the 426 Hemi. Now the Hemi may idle like a coffee can full of rocks, and it may need a wrench applied a little more often than usual. On the other hand, as far as acceleration is concerned, the Hemi turns on where the others shut off. The heavy-duty rally suspension is firm. The test car exhibited moderate understeer under hard driving, but there's plenty of torque to break the rear end loose if you have the foot for it. Inside, the NASCAR heritage is obvious only in the full dash equipment. The buckets fit well. Visibility is excellent in the front, not so hot to the rear due to the rear quarter fairings. The standard and heavy-duty rear drums are solid and reliable. You can put down your non-performance friends by pointing out that you have carpeting, disappearing headlights, and a car that you'll never lose in a crowded parking lot. And that concludes our tour of Scat City. I hope you guys enjoyed seeing what Scat City had to offer us in 1970. I know I did. Lots of cool cars. 1970 was a huge year for Mopar, and... It's a year that should be celebrated. And that's what we did here on Talking Mopars all week. Before we shut this show down, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you listeners out there that tune into the show and have reached out and said nice things. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all the support. In other news, later tonight, the Talking Mopars store will be launched on the website. 
look for the little tab that says store and you can see all the products I have to offer. Any purchases made help to support the show and you get something in return. You're not just making a donation. Think of it like making a donation and getting something really cool in return. We've got all sorts of cool stuff for men, women, and kids. So go check it out, TalkingMopars.com. Also, I'm always looking for your Mopar stories, so please continue to send those to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or share them via voicemail at 209-28-MOPAR. Until we talk again, my name is Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.